Good to see y'all. We're going to jump right in, running a little behind today. Um, if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Luke 24? Luke 24. How's everyone doing? I know what the response is. I'm always like, how's everyone doing? Awful, actually, Pastor. It's all right. This is a safe place. How's everybody doing? I heard a few. Eh, that's good. All the introverts in the room. How's everyone doing? That was a trick. You shouldn't have said anything if you're really an introvert. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to find this eventually, Luke 24. We're in a series that we do every year, and it's what churches have done really across the centuries. Um, does this sound okay, or is this kind of weird? It's going all right? All right. Uh, uh, across, the, across the ages, <laughs> since, the, since Easter was a thing, since Jesus, we believe, rose from the dead, since the calendars shifted, um, churches have taken this time and uh, this time right after Easter, and focused in on different accounts of, uh, of what happened in the life of Jesus after he rose from the dead, these different interactions that he has. And so uh, I was asking the team this morning, I don't know if anyone else knows this, you know what the last thing that Jesus did while he was um, uh, visually, physically uh, amongst us, do you, do you remember the last thing that's recorded in Scripture? Anybody? He blessed them. He blessed his people. In fact, if we were going to do an in-depth Bible study on the book of Luke, we would see that this idea of blessing is really, is really central and that the, the whole book actually begins with a priest who's not able to extend the full blessing and then Jesus who takes on this priestly um, posture, like with his hands up as he ascends, as he fades out, as he goes to the throne, he then, we're told, speaks this priestly blessing, or it is assumed that he speaks this priestly blessing. For those of you who know, your, know the scriptures maybe a bit more uh, than, than uh, or a little bit more in depth, the significance here is, is fascinating. There's a new, um, a new blessing, a new way that God is present because the priest's blessing was always about reminding them of God's presence with the people as they went. This is the account. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, this is Jesus, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I'm going to take this off just for my own. He blesses them. He blesses them. So I want to talk a little bit about blessing. And a couple, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, we actually did a little series about the importance of this. And I want to tie it in with the subject of honor. So, so real quick, let's get some definitions in place. So the Old Testament word for blessing comes from the Hebrew word barak. Can you say barak with me? This means to speak. It means to speak the intention of God. To speak the intention of God. To be happy with where you are. So the New Testament uses two words. Makarios, where we get the concept of happiness. 
And the Greek, and then there's this Greek word, eulogia, from which we get the word eulogy. And so this means to speak larger or well of, or to speak the intention or favor of God on someone. So just as like eulogies are tailor-made, right? If you've ever been uh, to, to a, a funeral or you've ever read in the paper uh, a eulogy, these are tailor-made for someone. So are blessings. When we talk about blessing someone on a practical level, it's as though, the, it's as though we are like prophetically stating, may God's full expectation for you be fulfilled in your life. And we know that God's intentions for people are, are good. So Dallas Willard defines blessing, if that was all a little much for you, blessings, he, Dallas Willard describes as the projection of good into the life of another. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of the other. I am going to project good. This is what God actually is about. He loves to bless. We know this. If you don't get this blessing as a child, your development is seriously hindered. If someone is not speaking life and goodness and love over you, there's often a problem. I think I've mentioned this here before, um, but my, my mother... Um, I say my mom because she's the one who likes to remind me of this. But at my, my mom and dad's house, uh, where I grew up, I came home. I came um, came by recently, and I noticed there was a, a comic that was on their fridge. Now, normally on their fridge, it's just grandbabies, uh, and then like little magnets for the grandbabies to play with. That's pretty much their whole fridge. Um, you can you can tell a lot about a person, by the way, about their fridge. Can you not? Like what stage of life they are. Like, my fridge is just construction paper with drawings, construction paper with drawings, because it's just covered. Um, it used to be just clean. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there's this comic, and on the comic is this character um, who's talking to somebody who's clearly going through some emotional turmoil, like things are hard in some way is what the comic's communicating. And so this person turns to the, this kind of uh, protagonist in the comic turns to the character that um, is, is pretty beat down and sad and hurting and says, man, you think you have it rough? I was severely, severely adored as a child. My mom has this up here to sort of mock me, uh, or not mock me, but just sort of make light of uh, a really, what is a beautiful reality is I happen to have been, like by the grace of God, raised in a home where, where there was a lot of projection of good and love and blessing. And any oldest kids out there know that if you come from a, a relatively healthy home, you get like the biggest dose of it because just by manner of the fact that you're the first. The projection of good into the life of the other. But before we, we get to talking about the power of, of blessing, before we, we understand the, the depths of that, and again, we've talked about this before, we, we have to actually talk about honor. And when we think about being Easter people in a Good Friday world, when we think about like the title of this series that we title it every year, Raising Life in a Culture of Death. We talk about being people who are embodying a different way. That's what it means to be a part of the way of Jesus. This is why we show up every Sunday. This is why I think it's a really big deal that you make it every single Sunday. It's why it's a big deal to, to get to home groups, to be in community, is because we, we are actually looking to not just kind of flirt with an ideology, 
to have some sort of vague worldview that sort of informs how we think about our kids and make sure we ethically run our businesses in an okay way, which is fine if that's where you're at in the journey. But for the rest of us, for many of us, this space is we're meant to be devoted to one another to embody an entirely different world. It's actually intense, like a whole new different way of thinking. And sometimes those, those ways actually resonate with what's happening in our larger culture and they make sense because we are all made in the image of God, all people. And, and oftentimes there's, there's a major rub. In fact, every generation that tends to be the case, you will see certain like ideas in the way of Jesus that are like, so uh, here's a great example. It's not a perfect example and it could get me into trouble, but I'm gonna chase it. What a setup. So there was a time where um, many who are followers of Jesus who had gotten some political power, which is always a problem, were sort of trying to really like mandate things like, um, or really kind of le- railing against Hollywood, railing against the treatment of women, railing against like, like uh, just an over-sexualized culture that led in their mind to a lot of brokenness, a lot of abuse in the world. And so it's, it's, it's something that was actually much of culture during the sexual revolution was allergic to. Now, it's, it's, this is complex, obviously. But it's interesting that we're in this moment now, especially around things like the Me Too movement, where actually some of these real basic principles that at one time, in our culture at least, the church was known the most for sort of raising the flag of going, we have to stand up and be loud against anybody who would communicate any sort of abuse and offense and, and the... And the this sort of derogatory or, or, or um, yeah, oppressive sexualization of other people. Now we see in the larger culture, with outside the bounds of anything to do with the way of Jesus or faith, we see that same thing happening. In other words, sometimes there's deep resonance. The, the ways the followers of Jesus have been, when they've been healthy and orthodox and Bible-believing, they have always been about racial res- reconciliation, and they've always been with the oppressed and the poor. That is called faithful, orthodox, biblical, old-school, radical Christianity. So when that gets, right? So when that resonates deeply with a culture that's going, we need to talk about racial reconciliation in a new way and not pretend that just because there's been a, cu- a couple hundred years between us and slavery that somehow racism is over and followers of Jesus should stand up and go, yes, amen, this resonates. But then there are also times where there's dissonance and sometimes that's conscious dissonance and sometimes there's, it's unconscious. And so what I'm talking about today, actually, I, I honestly believe in most cases, at least in the West, there is a major dissonance when it comes to the subject of honor and blessing. So our main text today is actually not what I read. This is Jesus as he is ascending to the Father. The last thing he does is bless. But in Romans 12, Paul gives this command because honor and blessing are linked. And Paul gives this command. He says, be devoted to one another in love, outdoing one another in showing honor. Outdoing one another in showing honor. I want to make the argument that the church should be a haven of honor in a culture of contempt. And so I want to share a few things I actually shared at, um, at, our, at our marriage weekend that we had a few months back. Because I think this concept, as I was thinking about it in the concept of marriage, and I shared it with some of the Newport team when they had a worship night, I shared it with some of the Eastside launch team, I realized there was something here that, I, that was like burning in my heart. This wasn't just a normal sermon. 
This was like something that I felt like God was saying, I want to see sanctuary, like break open, like break down the walls of contempt. I want to see sanctuary be a place, a haven of honor and blessing. So what is honor? Why does it matter? So Peter repeats this. Jesus speaks of it. Honor is the recognition and, uh, and of the value contribution of other people. Honor is the recognition the recognition, the value contribution of other people. It's holding someone or something in great respect. As followers of Jesus, we would say it's just being honest with reality. Because if we believe that everyone is made in the image of God and crowned with glory, despite whatever wreckage and nonsense they've done to us or others, they are worthy and deserving of honor. So as Christians, honor is just like, this is reality. We're trying to see everybody as they are in God's eyes. We'll get a little bit more to that in a moment. Honor, it's not a thing that we talk a ton about unless you come from a high honor culture. And I recognize there are some folks who don't come uh, from a more Western uh, worldview. Um, like there are, there are different cultures around the world that actually are high honor. Um, but that is not, not really the case for the most part. Uh, and I think it's something we need to foster in our community. Um, so here's one way to think about the definition of honor. Glory, when we say like glory to God or someone gets all the glory, um, is the implicit value that something possesses. Glory is like, the, God, to God be the glory. There is implicit value in glory. We can't add anything to like God's glory. We can't take anything away from God's glory. If someone like wins something and kills it and we want to like give them glory, like they, when, when Z gets his EGOT, like, there's just implicit value in Zuriel in the sense that he got his egot. This is going to keep going all, all, all service. Um, <laughs> honor is the choice to recognize that. Honor is the choice to, to acknowledge that that's there. So an example would be Mother's Day. We just had Mother's Day, and we honor our moms. And so I have found very few people who don't think that they should honor their moms, even folks who have had really difficult relationships or mothers who, for all intents and purposes, have not done the greatest maybe job. There's, there's I think, in our culture, just an immediate push towards, even more so than fathers, of honoring. Why? Why do you think? I would argue because they went through horrific pain so that you could be here. No matter what, it's like, look, you messed up everything else the last 30 years of my life, but those nine months, I'm here because of that. There, there's an honor. We see that sometimes with the military. If you've ever been in the airport, when a number of military personnel get off a plane, people oftentimes clap. Or you find, sometimes you find yourself just feeling like you should go up and say, you know, I don't know, thank you for your service or something. These moments where we just recognize the implicit value of someone else. Honor is about, if you're taking notes, honor is about rightly acknowledging. And I want to argue that this should be the operating system of our church because I actually believe it's like the OS of the Bible. And we know this in some part when we look to the end of the story in Revelation and we see this image of just giving so much so much acknowledgement of who God is. It's like how this whole thing on earth wraps up is us finally getting the full image of just how grand and beautiful and deserving of all of our praise that God is. And so we live in a moment of dishonor where everything is being destructed, deconstructed. 
And there's this danger in the scripture when it comes to dishonor. In Malachi 2, I'm not going to get into this just for the sake of time to these passages, but if you want to look this up later, Malachi 2, there's these priests who are being warned. There's, there's, God says, this is a warning for you. If you do not listen and honor my name, I will curse you in your blessings. So this isn't about not having doubt or not having questions. The psalmist, like in the Bible, if you're unfamiliar, the Bible, people get angry at God. God can handle your, your, your anger, your frustration, your doubt, your questioning. But there is still, at the end of the day, an invitation to, okay, that's okay, you're feeling that, but emotions, we all should know at this point, unless you're very new in your life journey, that like that is not, you can't build your life on emotions and how you're feeling and what you're going through. And so there's this invitation throughout scripture of don't dishonor the name of God. You can be wrestling and questioning and not know, but you need to know who you are and who God is. When psychologists organize negative human emotions, uh, just on like a real base level, they usually organize negative emotions in these three ways. So one is is resentment, which is about, uh, if you have resentment, usually it's about, it's anger or negative emotions towards someone in a higher rank. Then there's anger, which is usually just pointed at your peer. And then there is this phrase, contempt. Contempt. Contempt is anger towards someone on a lower status. It's like you're lowering the value of them in your mind or heart. And I just want to humbly submit that we live in a culture that's actually defined by this. Just to be, just, I'm sorry to be negative, but I see it everywhere. I mean, just ask somebody who they voted for. And if they say they voted for somebody that you didn't vote for, or sometimes even worse, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you sometimes are like, I didn't vote. Oh, gosh. Watch the not, oh, tell me more about that. Oh, I disagree with that. Oh, let's have it out. I'm not sure I can understand. Watch the lowering of who they are, the contempt that people feel. Contempt has a comparative element to it. It's about apprehending the bad qualities and then comparing it with our best qualities. And we, and we like this. I think the reason why this, this comes up so often, especially in our culture, is it feels good. Be honest with yourself. It feels good to kind of judge others. Why? Because you feel better. Right? Can I get some kind of, yeah? Anybody feel that? Like, it just, it feels, it feels good to put someone else in their place, to take an on. I was having a conversation the other day. I don't think they're here right now. I meant to call them before service just because I was preparing this message. And my gosh, I just realized that in our conversation, I was dishonoring this person. Just because they have some idiosyncrasies that, like, I, I think are funny. I found myself in this conversation not just being lighthearted about them, but actually dishonoring them. Actually treating them in my heart with this sort of contempt because it made myself feel better. Creates division and discouragement in a community when you show contempt for your closest neighbor and you show contempt. Let's just talk in the church. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, there's some family business for a minute. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and we show contempt for someone who Jesus like loves, who we believe Jesus died for. I mean, this is dangerous territory. God's like, look, if you're not going to love your neighbor, I, I can't really love you. This is how this thing works. So what would it look like to honor well? By the way, who are the people who do all the dishonoring in the Bible? Like, who, who show contempt? Like, what's the one big people group that does this? The Pharisees. Pharisees. 
The reason why God hasn't come back, the reason why we're putting these laws into place, the reason why we're burdening people with all of this, the reason why we're ostracizing these folks over here and over here and over here, they were showing contempt and dishonoring the very people that God loves. So how do we honor well? So uh, I know I've shared this, this story before. Uh, I don't know if I've shared it downtown, but uh, a friend of mine uh, two summers ago bought um, a pair of sunglasses that have like basically filters, like Instagram sunglasses. Anyone know these things existed? I did not know these things existed. So the sunglasses, and you pick your favorite Instagram filter, or your fi- like, I don't know, maybe some of you use Visco or whatever. Like, your favorite filter, you know, like you saturate the world around you. Everything's in like sepia, like it looks really nice. A little vignette. I don't know how like detailed it gets. Like I can adjust the contrast. I have no idea. But you put these glasses on and I'm thinking he's going to make a comment about how ridiculous these things were. He's like, I just bought these. I thought it was so funny. I put them on. And he said, I quote, had the best summer ever. I was like, Really? Like, yeah, man, everything was better. This is like a sharp guy. He just cracked me up. He's like, everything, everything just, I changed. Everything changed that I saw. It was like the, everything just had this aesthetically pleasing view that really like fit my, my, my the way I wanted to see the world. I, I mentioned this only in that when we see people, we need to have like a filter of inherent dignity. Like we need to have an honor filter. Again, the Psalms say that, that people were, are crowned with glory. What is it like to have a pair of glasses on that you just see everybody as crowned with, with glory? You see everybody as they actually are in God's eyes. Mother Teresa says this. We have grown so used to each other that some think they are free to say anything to anybody at any time. They expect others to bear with their unkindness. Why not first try to hold your tongue? You know what you can do, but you do not know how much the other can bear. You catch that? We're going so used to each other that we just think we can talk flippantly to each other. We think people don't take things personally. I have a friend who my love language often becomes just like sarcasm when we get really close. And I'm okay with a little bit of sarcasm. I'm not going to like moralize all of sarcasm as negative, right? But I'll kind of come close to it for a moment. It's been something really hard for me because it's the operating system of my family. It's been my internal operating system. If we're close, like the way that I love you, I don't know if it's like partially like a bro thing a little bit. It's just like we just knock each other down. It's like, it's almost like tall poppy syndrome. Have you ever heard about this? Australia, Ireland, England, you see this pop up. It's like someone gets a little too big for their britches. The most loving thing you can do is just, you know, like you get a little too, little, little too tall. Yeah, it's just catch you right down there. And so we will just joke and be sarcastic. I've realized with one friend that I've become really close to in the last year, this does not resonate with him and he does not feel loved. And I can watch him just sort of tense up. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's trying right in the moment to trust that I love him, care about him, and I'm not just trying to take like a random cheap shot. And I'm, I'm really not. But, but it, it's interesting that, that we, we just, we, we're, we've grown so used to each other. Mother Teresa is saying that, that we, we know what we can bear, but we don't know how much the other can bear. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death verses we just sort of breeze over 
this is true. James talks about this similarly. The tongue, like what you say can produce life and it can really kill somebody. And I think we go to the extreme situations of, I would never say something that bad to somebody. And we don't think about our daily communication and the way that we have the opportunity to lift one another up. In other words, we have the opportunity to like have a lens on that says like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe like Angela's in the room. Like, can you believe that Angela's in the room? Like, like I'm like, like I'm pull up my phone. Like, I'm gonna like live tweet this. Like, she, she, she just showed up. Amazing. She, oh my gosh, you should hear her sing. Actually, she sounds awful, but oh my gosh, God loves her. I'm just kidding. You have a great voice. Like, just, just the, 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 the posture of, oh, my goodness, I get to sit next to. Real quick, if you're internally rolling your eyes right now, like, ping, you've identified something. Because if I were you, even like three, four years ago, I would be doing the same thing. No judgment. I'm like, okay, really? Okay. I'm not one of those people, Andrew. I'm not wired that way. And then you go immediately to your one friend who always seems like happy and cheerful and like ready. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about always being cheerful. And we're definitely not talking about being fake. We're actually talking about reality. What is it like to see everybody through the lens, through the filter of God, to have an actual, some reality pulled over that we are so slow to take a cheap shot and slow to get sarcastic and slow to knock down and slow to get cynical. C.S. Lewis says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember, right? So he's talking about people made in the image of God here, just before you think C.S. Lewis is getting heretical. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these two destinations. And he talks about, look, either we look at people with, with like being, again, crowned with glory and beauty, or we see people with, uh, as just, with such great contempt. He goes on to say, there are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We have to have an honor filter. To honor, by the way, is not to flatter or give hypocritical praise it's but to show genuine appreciation and genuine admiration, quick to praise, quick to respect, quick to point out their accomplishments, quick to show genuine love without jealousy. Yes, it's possible for you to lift somebody up without being jealous or to try to get something from that. What do you see through your filter? A couple of things that have been helpful for me in studying this over the last year. Everyone's story. What's that old line like, hey, be kind. Everyone's fighting a great fight. Something like that, right? Be kind. Everyone's like in battle. Everyone's going through something. I love that. That's like a reminder that everyone has consolations and desolations today. Everyone has moments of like wins and losses. Everyone's going through it. Everyone's probably made. There's this one song we sing, the You Love Me As You Find Me song. 
And I love that. It's like I've been strong and I've been broken in the same breath. I love like the verses of that song. They're like, look, I have praised the Lord. I've done justice and I've done injustice. Like we are more complex than we like to paint each other's stories. Trying to see everyone's story. Two, trying to see everyone's calling and speak into that. This has been a big thing for me with my, my wife, with my marriage, is being able to just look my wife, Corey, in the eye and, like, and spend time thinking about what God's called her to do today. Like, what, what, how can I bless you? How can I pray for you? How can I help you press into what God's invited you to do? What is God? I mean, some of you need to back up and go, what is God inviting my, my spouse to be about right now? My friends to be about. Do you know the passions that are in your friends' hearts? And would they say behind closed doors, oh my gosh, Andrew, that guy cheers me on like nobody else. Do people speak highly of you when they're by themselves? Because they're like, yeah, cheerleader. That person just like, they care. They see me. They see me and they see my calling. My filter is trying to see that folks are called into things. Three, see their gifts. What brings them life? And acknowledge those things. And then four, recognizing that as followers of Jesus, everyone has authority from God. Trying to see them at their best. See that they are not their past. Right? It's like when you have brokenness in your own life, it's like, ah, yeah, just, you know, broken story. A broken story. Somebody else who's got brokenness in their life, like, sinner. (laughs) Our propensity, right, is sometimes internally to go, like, wow, never would have done that. Yeah, you're right. You're not them. Your sin is this. Just to, to realize you, wanna, you, wanna, you don't want to be remembered for your past. Do you have a filter that constantly goes, yeah, you are, not your, you are not your past? Do you try to see people's future? Try to see people's future. There's so much power in honor. I want to give two examples. One, honor restores. So, so in churches, we have conflict. In family systems, you have conflict. In friendships, we have co- conflict, right? And we have conflict? Yeah. And I think the typical approach is often that we point out the wrong that they have done. And we maximize it in some way in our minds. We minimize people's good traits. We gossip. We vilify. We turn them into a caricature. I think our propensity for how we deal with conflict so often is just immediately to go in the defense. What honor does is says, hey, look, if I'm going to like address a conflict, I did do this recently, pull somebody aside. And it was a good practice for me. It was just to say, look, before I say anything to you, I want you to know I value you. I found myself just like God's heart is full of joy for you. I value your story. I see where you've come through. Like, thank you for walking with me, calling out your gifts. I'm so thankful for this relationship. I value you. And because of all this, like, we got to talk about some things and make it right. I think I used to in my life think of that as like, I just get to it. Andrew's just trying to be overly empathetic and nice. And I've just realized like, no, 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 no. I need to like, I need more of that in my life, not less. Because I do, I I value you. I see you. I, I, I can honestly say, or I can say, I really want to love you right now. But we got to talk about some things. There's so much hope in that. And I think there's, there's like not a lot that you can't get through when you apply like this, this, this lens of honor when you see people as they truly are. If you're taking notes, again, recognition of who somebody actually is is the key to restoration. Recognition is the key 
recognizing who they are and how loved they are and that they have a story and that they're going through it too. And we all make, like to honor them is gonna be the key to restoring any broken conflict or relationship in your life, in your marriage, in our church. Two, honor empowers. I sort of talked about this with like with Corey. It's like the more and more I've understood her call and made sense of what she's being invited to in this season and prayed for her and cheered her on in that, I've seen her just like, like her soul get bigger. Anybody who's ever had somebody like cheer you on, who's come alongside. I mean, this church largely exists because of this guy named Jason Congdon who, who came alongside me and was like, Andrew, I know you don't think you can do this. You can do this. Let me show you how. He came alongside and he saw a call in me. He saw something in me that I had a hard time believing like I could get to or access or make happen or that I was adequate in any way enough. He saw it and he just poured like gas on it. You can do this. I can see this call in you. Let me walk this out with you. Honor empowers. Jesus goes to Peter and says, look, your future is bigger than fish. Jesus keeps going after him with all of his doubts. Jesus doesn't give up on his call. Peter is born into like, Green, Rhode Island, Coventry, Rhode Island. That's like where Peter's born. Like, like, like just nowheres, no offense to Coventry, just like nowheresville, like, and he is, ends up being at the seat of power, like speaking into some of the most like epic things that are happening in the world. And he does this because you see Jesus just going and empowering him, empowering him. Honor sees potential that nobody else sees. So if the honor is, I want to say this as we begin to close. If the power of honor is going to be released in our church, everyone has got to get involved in this. Everyone. Outdo one another in showing honor. The Greek there is like proactive. That's why I like the ESV one better than the NIV one. It's like, outdo one another. Do you ever try to out, do you ever have siblings and you're trying to outdo one another and whatever? Be better at sports, be better at this, get parents' attention, like push further. Anyone trying to, like in a, in a season right now where you are literally trying to climb that corporate ladder, right? And so you're trying to outdo, right? It, it can be friendly, loving, God honoring, but you are literally trying to, like you are jockeying for position. I'm gonna outdo everybody else in my company in doing X or Y or Z. This is the language that Paul uses for honor. I don't think this is going too far. Like, Sanctuary Church, I want to invite you for the next season of our church to make it a competition, to do better than the person next to you in showing honor. <laughs> I realize that kind of caves in on itself in a way, but outdo one another in showing honor. I can't believe I'm sitting next to you. Look, I, I set this whole message up in the way that I did about, cult, about values in cultures that are dissonant is because I think that nowhere else in Providence, and I, I accept the challenge to this, does this reality exist. I don't know if you noticed as you came in today, the greeters were a little extra. And I asked them to be this morning. That like when you come in, like you just... I don't, it's not meant to just be like foolish flattery. It's, it's that in the culture of our home churches and the culture of dinners, of caring for one another's needs, of growing with one another, of being discipled, of loving and blessing and showing up on a Sunday, all the spaces that exist within the life of our church, both formal and informal, 
there's a, a, there would be a radical difference in the way that we treat one another and talk about one another, the way that we lift one another up. When you honor someone, you release them to trust you and to bless you back, and you release them to serve you back. It's an incredible cycle that happens when honor is released, but it has to be all of us doing this together. And then what if we were to honor those in our city, that we would be known as a church that comes along those that are going through it, those that are, those that are, are, are maybe hurting around us, that we would just drop little like bombs of blessing and honor on people. Because when we honor people, this for in large part is what triggers our, our blessing muscle. When we see them for who they really are, we want to speak goodness and life and calling. We want to notice them and empower them and develop a, a, a culture and how we treat others and those in our city. And so as we begin to, to close the message and close our morning today, I wanted to invite Morgan up. Um, Morgan uh, has, uh, has started a, a new mission outpost. This is just an expression of what we say. When we say be the church, outpost is what we mean. And, uh, and this is something that, that started uh, a year, year or two years ago out of teaching a little bit about blessing. And I, I made this simple statement. I just said, look, I think we can actually change the temperature of our city if we were to become just a, a blessing machine. <laughs> we were to learn how, how to just pour out speaking the, the goodness of life and, and, and love into other people. And so Morgan was like, okay. I love when people like actually listen. I love when I listen to my message, never mind anybody else, and then take it to heart. And so Morgan developed this thing in home groups and began to, um, to, to, to come together in her home group and, and they would write all these letters. And we've talked about this from the front before and anonymously leave them on people's doorsteps. I've been the recipient of this and it has just, it changed my whole month receiving this. And so Morgan had this call in her heart to take this thing further. And so we're starting this outpost called Love Rights. And she and her team have been scheming and putting this together of what this might look like. And so I wanted to invite Morgan up to share some details and to invite you into this as just one um, real tangible example of blessing and honor that's happening in our church. Yeah. So like Andrew said, we've been doing this in my home group for a while and just saw so much fruit from it and really wanted to invite all of you to be a part of it. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're going to start meeting regularly to just get together and write notes of blessing. Um, that can be as simple as, hey, you are loved, love a friend. Or it can be really speaking to, that's what Brad always writes. <laughs> um, or it can be, you know, a lot more like speaking into someone's specific gifts or what you know of their story. Um, but instead of writing to a particular person to start this off, we decided it would be cool to write notes to just the city of Providence. One of the big events that's coming up is PVD Fest, one of my favorite uh, things of the year. And so we're inviting everyone in home groups across our church this week to write just notes of blessing that anyone in the city could find, um, telling them of you know, you are loved, you are cared for, no matter where you're at. And uh, yeah, we're gonna be writing those this week. If you're not in a home group and want to participate, you can, um, when you come next week to church, we'll have little, you know, pieces of 
paper in the back that you can join. And then June 15th is when we're going to, you know, start writing to specific people. Uh, we'll just meet right after church and we'll give more announcements too before that. But that's the plan. Morgan, this is going to be awesome. Andrew also talked about like the people that like threw gas on like the things that felt like you're calling. And I just wanted to thank a bunch of people in my home group and different people throughout the church that did that for like this outpost because there were lots of times where we would get like really fired up and then be like, ah, oh, do we want to do it? And there were people that like continuously like would go back to like, didn't you feel called to do this? Like, shouldn't we do this? And so I also just wanted to call that out too because it felt relevant. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Morgan. I keep having a vision when I, when I hear Morgan talk about this uh, of like um, somebody in the news that week, like a, like, a, like a family who's maybe lost everything in a fire, like God forbid, or, or maybe, maybe the mayor is just having a really tough week. Like we can just see it in the paper. And so we just organize, like Morgan just organizes, all right, let's go team. And write notes and letters and meaningful things and listen, have listening prayer tied in with that. And then just drop that off at the mayor's office drop that off, like find that person's address and slip that in there. There's just acts of, of love and, and blessing. It sounds like such a simple thing, right? But the idea even I'm imagining of, of just believing in God's sovereignty and, and, and movement that in PVD Fest, maybe some people who really just needed to like pick up a random anonymous note that's like in a corner behind a little vendor as they're walking down the street, something tucked into the wall at the Dean Hotel. Something slipped underneath their coffee. They like open it up and just to see encouragement and blessing and to see that this is a community of Jesus followers. This is what we do. This is our culture. We bless and we honor and we empower and we see you. We see you. Maybe for you, um, this whole concept is really hard because unlike the cartoon that I have on my parents' fridge, like the, you were severely adored as a child. You have, I was severely neglected as a child. Maybe some things have happened in your life. Maybe currently you're in a situation, a relationship, a friendship that is just is toxic. And Jesus invites us even in these situations. We see a principle emerge in scripture uh, about um, sometimes you just need to be okay with, with letting go. Uh, there's, a, there's a passage uh, that Jesus talks about. He says, don't throw your pearls before swine. I don't ever heard this before. Don't throw your pearls before pigs which is a weird verse because it was something you were probably never tempted to do in the first place. Just imagine like you're killing it, like big bonus this year. You decide, I'm gonna give a bunch to church and then I'm gonna take the rest. I'm gonna go to, I'm going like, they're going down to Manhattan. I'm gonna go to Tiffany's. I'm gonna buy like this, the, you go in to buy the pearls and they look at you and they're like, oh, you're kind of young. We'll give you the young pearls. Like, no, 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 you don't know me. Like I'm a player, I'm a baller. And so they go and they pull out the really nice pearls. And they bring them over and they give them to you and you buy them and you're feeling like a million bucks. And then you get on that train and you start heading back up to Rhode Island and you get off though in Westerly and then you drive up, uh, you get, rent a car and you drive up the Western part of Rhode Island and you get to a little farm out there in Coventry somewhere. We're back in Coventry. And you go and you find this farm and you go to the farm and you go and you're like, hey, where are the pigs at? And you got this amazing box that you just dropped thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on. You see that pig and you take those pearls and you take it out and you just strap it around that pig and you say, you're welcome. And you walk away. Pearls, unbelievable worth, right? That's been compounded over time. 
Look, what we are saying as followers of Jesus is that you are crowned with glory, with love. You are blessed. You are seen and made in the image of God. And if you're in a relationship or in a situation where you are not being valued in the way that you need to be, in a culture of dishonor, you don't need to show contempt back. You don't need to be rude, but you need to, in a godly way, get out. You need to get, you need to get, to get out. This isn't an invitation away from the hard work of loving one another, but for some of us, there is such an honor deficit. You have something that is so valuable and you're giving it to someone who doesn't get it. Look, our world is, is in some ways that scene in large part. We are in an honor deficit culture. I was reading actually about honor deficit cultures. This is actually a thing. And this is uh, one story is about this First Nation people in Canada. Generational dysfunction, generation after generation, their culture had been just chipped away by, 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 by colonizers, chipped away by, by oppressors, by those in power. And so there's so much dysfunction. So there's literally people who go in to intervene, to reintroduce honor into what is literally a distinction, honor deficit cultures. And when I heard someone talking about this, I was like, this is like our world. Like they go in and they, they, they reintroduce and men gaps between men and women, between old and young. And there's all of this data in this one study I was doing, when honor is reintroduced, you see alcoholism drop. You see, jail, you see folks who are, who are incarcerated, the incarceration rates drop. And I'm like, this is why we love Jesus. This is what he does over and over and over in the scriptures. He sees the most like hurting and lowly and oppressed. And he goes and he, he sees them and he empowers them. He doesn't see their past. He sees their future. He offers forgiveness and grace and then puts a call on their life. This is why people have been drawn to Jesus. It's because in a culture that dishonors, Jesus charges in and says, I see you and I love you and I'm calling you to who you were created to be. So my guess is <laughs> that the Holy Spirit maybe has convicted some of you. Who have you dishonored in your heart? What do you need to do to make this right? Where have you gossiped? Where have you dishonored those who are in leadership around you? Some of you have, have made terrible life choices because there was such an honor deficit in your life. And so you medicated or you hid and you need to hear today, Jesus sees you. Maybe he wants to remind you that you are crowned with glory. That you are loved. That you are worth him dying on the cross. Jesus, to his lowly, ragtag group of followers, a bunch of young men and women, he says, why he lifted up his hands as he was leaving and he blessed them. He blessed them. I just imagine Jesus as whatever that ascension scene looked like, as he's fading out or rising up, 
I don't know, maybe it really was like Nicolas Cage Jesus up there. And he's just blessing them. Most people think it's the priestly blessing. It's like the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. I see you. You got this. I bless you. I speak life and goodness to them as he goes. Blessing is about presence, his presence with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ. Help, help us. As we come to the table and close our time, Lord, would you just, I'm I'm asking, Lord, I'm begging you, would you make deposits in people's hearts right now? Just highlighting, Lord, where they're, where they have dishonored and how to make it right. And that your presence, Lord, would just fall upon those who have such an honor deficit that as they take the bread and dip it in the cup, even in that sacred little physical moment, where you have been present with so many at the table in powerful ways, that they would receive that, that the presence, Lord, that they would receive and know that you see them, that you value them. I don't know if there are Mary Magdalene's in the room. I don't know if there are Peter's in the room. I don't know if there are Doubting Thomas's in the room right now. I don't know if there are the women at the well. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know who's around. Lord, who just needs, again, to know that they are seen. And for all of us, Lord, for us to re-own that again today as we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, a reminder of your presence with us, of your forgiveness and your love for each one of us, it should set us free to love and bless and serve. Because if the most perfect God in the universe can come and see the most like ostracized and hurting and broken and jacked up people and speak blessing and calling over them, I think we can too. And I think this church can be known as being a place where, oh my gosh, of all the things that are jacked up about sanctuary, those people see you and honor you and are trying to love you and bless you in the best way they can. We can see it. We can feel it when we walk through the room. And that above all else, we would be a church that honors our God, that knows, that owns in everything that you, Lord, are deserving of our praise. We acknowledge, Lord, your power and your love and your grace, Lord, in our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.